the Financial Sense Lifetime Planning Program. Now, here's the Financial Sense News Team. Welcome, everyone, to this week's Lifetime Planning Show. As part of our Financial Sense podcast, we use every Monday to take on subjects that relate to longer-term planning, whether that be for retirement, general financial planning considerations, tax changes, or even when it comes to health and wellness. As we've done in the past, and something that a number of you have requested we pick up again, is to go through some specific cases where we implement many of the planning topics we discuss on our show to see how these can be put into practice. Today we are going to discuss two case studies in particular, both of which are inspired by recent financial plans and clients that we have worked with at Financial Sense Wealth Management. That being said, we have changed the names and some of the personal details to honor their privacy, but are presenting these in such a way that preserves some of the complexities of the planning process. As always, we want to encourage all of you listening to email us with any specific areas or planning topics, which we will gladly use in a future case study. You can do that by going to our website, Financial Sense, and sending us a message with your thoughts or suggestions by hitting where it says contact us. So Jim, tell us about our first case study for today. Let's begin with Evelyn. Evelyn is an anesthesiologist. She lives in San Francisco. She grew up in New York City, where her mom recently passed away. She's got three kids and one daughter who's going through medical school. So she's supporting that, paying for that out of her salary. Uh, Let me give you a little background. Evelyn is 67. She's single. She lives in San Francisco. And the goal is to retire at age 70. We had discussed that, uh, you know, she needs to work a few more years to build up the kind of assets because she makes very good income as a doctor. So the plan is to work to age 70, in which case she would get a maximum Social Security benefit of roughly about $36,000 a year. Now, some of the issues that we're dealing with, once again, she's paying cash for her daughter's education. So she's putting her daughter through medical school, just as her mother and parents put her through medical school. Now, let's talk about some of the assets that she has to work with. She recently inherited a New York condo that's worth about $1.6 million. It's free and clear. She inherited that from her mother when her mother passed away. She has a Montana home uh, near a ski resort that, that was basically she got that with the divorce settlement. She has a home in San Francisco worth roughly about $2.5 million, and a 401k plan that's about 900000 and a rental property in Bismarck. So as we took a look at this, she wanted to have a level of income that would be, in terms of her lifestyle, it's probably going to be between twelve dollars and $15,000 a month. She likes to do Uh, She likes to travel. Right now, she has a little over four weeks paid vacation a year and then accumulated sick leave. And so she wants to be able to go to Europe. And so traveling is going to be a big part of her retirement. She wants to be able to go to places. She's part of a doctor's group, by the way, that uh, it's not uh, Doctors Without Borders, but it's a group that goes to distressed areas like South America and Africa where she does pro bono work. For those less fortunate, so that's a big part of her plans. 
So what we did is she doesn't want to stay into California where taxes are high and the cost of living, plus the real estate prices in San Francisco. I mean, she owns a small uh, house, probably no more than 1,800 square feet or 2,000 square feet, Chris, just to give you an idea of, you know, California prices. This house is valued about two and a half million dollars. The house is free and clear, which is good, along with the condo that she inherited from her mother. Now, in terms of assets, she has a $500,000 IRA that she rolled over from her previous employer when she moved to California. And what we are doing, she wants to move to Arizona, where it's a lot warmer. She has a lot of friends that have retired there. So as we went through her plan, one of the things I told her, I said, look, you're you're three or four years away from retirement. You have a large nest egg in your 401k plan. We can't take any, you know, any risk with those assets. So what we did is we recommended that she invest those proceeds in a target fund that would mature at age 70. This way, she doesn't have to worry about the markets going up and down. They will automatically rebalance that each year as she gets closer to that age. And so at least we could put that 900000 in a safe position with retirement. And then, of course, she has a half a million dollar IRA, which we put into a recommended our income fund, which is roughly about 60% uh, dividend paying stocks, the yield close to 4%. We have some preferred stocks and some convertibles. And then we have about 10% in commodities. Now, we recommended that she would sell the New York condo because she doesn't want to deal with rental properties, especially since it's on the opposite side of the coast. The other thing, too, is there would not be any taxes because the property got stepped up to market value when her mom passed away and she inherited that property. So during the course of the plan over six months, we helped her. I put her in touch with the realtor. Uh, she wanted to move to Sun City where her friends are. And we helped negotiate a house on a golf course for her because one of her plans is to take up golf in retirement in addition to travel. So we helped negotiate her home in Sun City. And that's about 560000 with roughly about a $450,000 mortgage. And one of the things that uh, we also recommended as she sells the condo that she pay off the house in Sun City. And then eventually when she sells her house in San Francisco, unfortunately, she's going to have to pay some income tax because the house is appreciated. She's more than doubled her money in this place. So she's going to have some tax. But when she sells that property, what we're going to do is put together a portfolio, probably 60% stocks that, uh, you know, would be in a low tax bracket because as long as her income is under 200000 she would only pay 15% tax rate on those dividends. And then what we're going to do is probably some convertible preferreds and some convertible bonds where we can get 3 or 4% uh, interest rates. And then we would know what these bonds would be uh, when they mature. The other thing that it would be good news for her right now, she's in a 10.3% income tax rate in California. The good news moving to Arizona, Arizona tax rates go from roughly about two and a half to about four and a half. So her income tax rate is almost going to drop by 75%. And that's going to be really important, especially in retirement, because 
If she can keep below a certain level, she would have a lower level that she would have to pay for Medicare and Medicare insurance. And then in addition to that, you would also pay a lower capital gains tax because once you go over $200,000 if you're single, you add the Obamacare tax of 3.8% to the 15% dividend tax. As we said in the very open, these case studies have been modified in such a way to protect, obviously, our, our client's identity and the particulars of their situation. But we want to preserve the essence of what many people listening may be facing. One of the key ones, which many of us are hearing or know about, is the fact that there's a lot of people that are leaving high-tax states, moving to low-tax states. That's been something that's been underway now for many years. And with that, you had said, particularly in this instance, someone moving from California to Arizona is going to see about a 75% reduction in their state income taxes. Is that correct? Well, in her particular case, in terms of what her income will be in retirement, it'll be below a certain level. So she's going to be roughly in about a 2.5% Arizona tax bracket compared to 103 in California. So, you know, a couple of the key things here is, you know, with these amount of assets, you would ask, well, you know, why is she going to work to age 70? Part of it is she's putting a daughter through medical school and she's paying all of that out of her salary. So, that's one of the reasons she wants to work to age 70. She wants her daughter to get her daughter through medical school with no debt, uh, which is a noble thing to do. And so that's one of the main reasons she's going to be working to age 70. Now, one of the things that we told her that, you know, sell the New York property. There's no tax there. And then also sell the Bismarck home, which was part of an asset that she got in the divorce along with the Montana property. I told her to keep the Montana property because I go moving from San Francisco where it's cool and windy, moving to Arizona where the temperatures can get into like 113, 115 during the summer. She would have a summer place that she could go to to get out of the heat. So that made a lot of sense. And the other reason she was going to Arizona, Chris, is many of her colleagues, like many people in California, when they retired from the hospital, they moved to Arizona to get out of the high-tax environment of California, in addition to cashing in on highly appreciated real estate. So that was one thing that she was able to do. She had enough funds that uh, we put enough down on her place in uh, Sun City. And then the idea would be is once these other properties sell, we would take those proceeds and pay off the mortgage of roughly about 450000 She was lucky. She got in with a mortgage at three and a quarter percent. And I said, look, you know, if you want to cut your expenses down in retirement, a free and clear home, because the, the property taxes are special for Sun City, they pay a lower property tax rate because there's no school district there. And so she would be free and clear, and she would have the ideal situation. You know, she kept the Montana property because she loves to ski, but it's also a great place during the summer, a lot cooler, obviously, than Arizona. The other issue that we're currently working on right now, she had been leasing cars or car rentals when she flies in to uh, visit her home. She's in the process of fixing it up and doing a little bit of a remodel. But I said, you know, right now, until, you know, you're living there, why don't you just get a used car? And so we're looking at a used Accord that she can just keep there. 
and have it in the garage. That way, when she flies in to visit her friends or, you know, sort of supervise the remodel of her place, she would have something that she can drive. And so we negotiated, uh, helped her negotiate a purchase of a car, and then as well as buying the uh, original property in Sun City as well. So the real key here, Chris, for her retirement, have a free and clear home, and by working to age 70 to get her daughter through medical school, she will also be deferring her Social Security to age 70, which means it'll grow by 8% a year. And so that's going to produce about $36,000 of revenue, which is equivalent to really having almost $1.5 million in a portfolio. The other thing, too, is she wants to keep in a low tax. I said dividends are taxed at 0, 15, and 20%. And if her income is down below 200000 she doesn't have to pay the Obamacare tax. And if it's under 179000 she wouldn't be bumped up into those higher Medicare brackets because there's six brackets in Medicare depending on your income. So you got to be real careful there that you may not get into a higher tax bracket, but you could put yourself in a higher Medicare bracket. So the whole idea is by selling the condo, in New York City, that would be roughly about, let's say, about $1.4 million after fees and commissions and things of that nature. She would have a Montana home that would be worth 700000 And then she has a Bismarck home uh, that she is selling, and that would be roughly about 400000 So we would have roughly about one point eight from her mom's inheritance and 400000 from the Bismarck home. And then she's going to, when she sells her San Francisco home, you know, who knows where that's going to be in three years. I mean, right now the home's worth about two and a half. But she's going to have to pay some capital gains because as a single individual, you are allowed $250,000 of capital gains that you don't have to pay tax. And she's going to have well over a million dollars in tax uh, on, the, on the sale of the home. So the net proceeds would be put into basically a dividend and a corporate bond portfolio. So it would be a conservative portfolio made up of dividend stocks taxed at a lower rate. And so, you know, by the time she gets to retirement, she's going to have at least a close to a $4 million portfolio to live on and a free and clear home, as well as maximum Social Security benefits. Obviously, I told her the risk that she runs is the Fed is raising interest rates. We've got inflation and so the real risk there is if the Fed keeps raising interest rates and mortgage rates keep rising, the real estate market could soften. So, you know, it's kind of hard to predict where it's going to be in three years from now. But nonetheless, she has substantial capital gains. So even if the house dropped from two and a half down to two million, she'd still have substantial equity that she could turn into producing income for her retirement. The goal would be to keep her at least non-taxable income below 200000 The other thing that uh, we may consider doing, since she has roughly, she'll have probably in three more years, she'll probably have, you know, at their current rate of accumulation, probably a million two or more in her 401k program. She has a half a million in an IRA program that we're managing right now. So, Chris, she could have a 200 or $2 million IRA, and one of the things is we would roll over part of that income from the IRA and do a Roth conversion 
so we can create some tax-free income. So if she leaves the money in the Roth within five years, that will be tax-free income that she can draw on and help keep her in a lower bracket. And the nice thing about this is once you're in a Roth, you can do things like high-level corporate bonds. You can do high-dividend-paying stocks. So imagine getting 5% tax-free. So the, the objective would be to at least have a half a million dollars in a Roth IRA so that, you know, let's say at a 4 and 5% income, that would create twenty to $25,000 a year annual tax-free income. And once again, these dividend stocks raise their dividends every year. So the yields would be going up every single year, and all of that would be tax-free. So overall, retire in three years, postpone Social Security age 70, even though she could take it now. She doesn't need it with her income as a doctor because she makes close to half a million dollars a year putting her in a high tax bracket. But the goal would be to keep her in a 22% tax bracket for federal and roughly about a 2.5% tax bracket at the state level. So roughly she'd be in a 25% tax bracket. And the other thing is most of her dividend income is going to be taxed at a lower rate at 15%. So overall, a nice retirement for her and she should have the income to do the things she wants. She wants to continue to work with the medical group that she works at, reaching out to those less fortunate. She spends a lot of time going to Africa and to South America. She'd like to continue that when she retires. Let's talk about the second case study, which is now a couple that are moving into retirement this year, I believe. So what, what are some of the particulars of this situation? Okay, this is the case of Jerry and Ann. Jerry's a petroleum engineer working for one of the nation's largest oil companies. He's age 66. He plans to retire this year. His wife is a paralegal. She's been with the same law firm for close to 30 years now. She's about 62. Uh, the assets in this estate, uh, they have a vacation home in Colorado. They live in Houston, and uh, that they love to ski. And the plan is when they retire, they're going to sell their Texas home and move to Colorado where it's a lot cooler. Now, the only difference is they're going to go from a tax-free state because there are no state income taxes in Texas. And then there's lower tax rates in Colorado. Uh, additional things, uh, Jerry owns 7,000 shares of his company stock. That's worth about 600000 His 401k program is worth about $1.8 million. His wife's 401k is roughly close to 600000 Their home in Houston is worth roughly close to 700000 They have almost 180000 in savings. And then Jerry also has a deferred comp program with the company that's worth about 550000 So they have enough money to retire this year. The plan is when they puts in the retirement by summer, they would sell the Houston home. That would bring in roughly six, seven hundred thousand. And the plan is pay off the hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage on the Colorado home. And his deferred comp uh, program has an option for a five year payout. So that'd be roughly about one hundred and ten thousand dollars a year for over a five year period. And uh, we recommended that Jerry defer taking Social Security to age seventy. That would give him a maximum benefit. 
and then Anne would take her Social Security at age 67. That would be roughly about 18000 So if you take a look at what they have in 401k plan, between the two of them, it's roughly about $2.5 million. So once they move and retire, they're going to move into a lower tax bracket. And what we're going to recommend is they pull out roughly about $100,000 a year out of their IRAs and convert it into a Roth. So we get the the IRAs down from $2.5 million down to about $2 million, and they would have a half a million dollar Roth, which would be producing tax-free income. They're one of their other goals besides travel. They have, right now, they have a C-Class RV, and they would like to spend three or four months traveling, especially during the winter months in Colorado. So they would upgrade from a C-Coach to an A-Class motorhome. They have one, they're looking at a Tiffin. Uh, they could get a used, nice Tiffin. It would be about a $200,000 upgrade. I told them to pay cash for it, just as their home in Colorado, to pay off the uh, mortgage on the property so they'd have a tax-free home and a tax-free RV. And then at age 72, depending on what their income needs are, they could start taking mandatory withdrawals from their IRAs if they need it. And then, of course, Jerry would be taking his Social Security at age 70. So between the two of them, they'd have over 50-something thousand dollars in Social Security income. And then they would have roughly with dividends and distributions from their IRAs, they would have an income of roughly about $150,000. They would be debt-free, free home, free motor home. And uh, the only other thing that we're going to recommend, since the IRA is substantial for both of them, that uh, basically we wanted to trim it down, back down to about $2 million, get about a half a million into a Roth. We would name all three children as beneficiaries. The kids would have 10 years to take the distributions out over an inheritance. That law on distributions changed in 2017 with the uh, Jobs Act that was passed under Trump. And then um, another thing they wanted to do was start to fund the 529 plans for their grandchildren. So they'd be making roughly about $6,000 to each kid. They have six grandchildren, roughly about $36,000 a year. So Chris, basically moving, you know, most people stay in a tax-free state. They would be moving to a taxable estate like Colorado. But once again, the tax rates would be much lower but they're tired of the Texas humidity, the weather, the hurricanes, bugs, and all that kind of thing. So they'd like to go and spend time in Colorado. And then during the winter months, they would just get in their RV and just go travel across the country four months out of the year. So they're right on track to retire. And uh, once again, we're going to use the deferred comp program, which would be paid out over five years. And then in uh, five more years, Anne would be able to take her Social Security at age 67, which would be 18000 And by that time, the income that would be coming out of the IRAs would put them roughly in about $130,000 to $150,000 range with no debt. So pretty good retirement. The only other thing we did is we did recommend right now they've kept everything in a, a joint tenancy. So they're going to need to update their estate plan. We recommended that they set up a disclaimer trust which allows them to keep everything in one trust should one spouse pass away. But if they change the tax laws and lower the exemption and raise the tax rates, it would allow the surviving spouse 
to split the estate into two trusts on the death of the first spouse, an A and B trust, in order to save estate taxes. The other thing, especially with COVID, uh, you know, updating and having durable medical powers and durable powers of attorney. And basically, the oldest son, real estate agent, is pretty savvy financially. He would be the successor trustee to the trust. And so that was pretty much it. Jim, in each of these cases, given the general level of complexity of, of them in which we discussed today, what did this involve from you know the process of working with the client, how many hours are spent either going through the financial plan, the investigation process? Can you give us an idea just for those that are listening, thinking, hey, I want to do a financial plan with Financial Sense Wealth Management. What would that look like? It takes usually about two to three weeks to input the data. And once we have the data and the goals, we set up our first meeting. And that first meeting is just to confirm that we have all the data. It's all correct. We haven't left anything out. And then to reaffirm the goals and objectives. Sometimes both spouses may have a different view on those goals and objectives. So to work through that process. And then once we analyze the data, we have another meeting and we're going to come back with alternatives because, once again, there's more than one or two ways to solve a particular problem. So we usually like to come up with two or three alternatives, talk about the pluses and minuses of those alternatives with the client. So the client gets to have the input and say, you know what, I really like option B. That seems to fit both of us. And then another important element that we put the clients through is our risk assessment questionnaire. Because one of the things that we want to make sure is we want to understand what your tolerance for risk is. Because a lot of times, Chris, when the market's going up like it did in the last decade where the market was going up almost every single year, a few blips along the way, it's like, oh, okay, we'll just keep it all in stocks. Well, you don't want to do that when you head into retirement because you want to avoid something called sequence risk where you could go through a bear market at the beginning of your retirement, which could really be devastating. You know, just imagine the financial crisis where the S&P lost over 60% of its value, or think about the bursting of the tech bubble where we lost a little over 50% in the stock market. And basically, Chris, the stock market went nowhere for 13 years. I mean, we went down for two years, and then from 2002 to 2007, the stock market got back up to where it was in 2000. But then we went through the financial crisis and lost 60%. So if you were 100% in stocks in the year 2000, it took you to 2013 just to break even. And that's why in the case of Evelyn, we had her shift her 401k program because she's still contributing to a target fund that'll mature when she turns age 70 because she doesn't want to take any risk, especially given the size of her 401k and how important that's going to be to her own retirement. And Jim, last question I have for you is for those that are listening that are thinking they do want to have us conduct a financial plan for them, or even those that are listening and maybe on the fence why is it important for people to get a financial plan? Is it really when they're in perhaps a transition stage in their life or if they're just unsure about the specific details when it comes to the costs and you know the nuts and bolts of, of some of these long-term planning considerations? What would you say as a financial planner is, is one of the main benefits that's provided when you conduct one of these? Well, I, there, there's twofold. One, it's a plan. It gives you direction, number one. Number two, 
it sets and establishes an investment philosophy on how money's to manage. Like I said, avoiding sequence risk at the beginning of your retirement. Number three, it's an ongoing process. Like even the case of Evelyn, you know, she's not going to retire for three years from now. So obviously when it comes to retirement, we'll be monitoring that. She's going to have to get an updated estate plan. The one good thing is Arizona and California is a community property state, so she'll just have to establish domicile, maybe add some codicils to her estate plan. And then more importantly, it's dealing with a sole survivor. In this case, when you take Jerry and Ann, a married couple, one of you is going to end up being a survivor. And you could end up with a widow's penalty where you lose one Social Security check. The surviving spouse gets to keep the larger of the two Social Security payments. And then also you get pushed up into a higher tax bracket. So handling those kind of things. And then also just monitoring the investments. Because, Chris, imagine what it was like for many retirees that retired in the year 2000. Back then, the stock market was going up with the technology bubble. It was going up double digits every year. And then wham, in a two-year period, the market loses over 50%. Greenspan brings interest rates down from 7 and 8% down to 1%. And then once again, fast forward another seven years, we go through the financial crisis. The market loses 60% of its value. And then interest rates are brought down to zero and kept below the inflation rate as they are today. So, for example, if you had a million dollars in the year 2000, if you went into a bond fund, you could have made seven or eight percent. But gradually, over the next two decades, interest rates came down to they got down. What was it? A little over a year ago, you had 10 year treasuries at three tenths of one percent. So imagine what happened to those people that were relying on predictable income or what happened to them if they were in the stock market. So monitoring your plan throughout retirement, it doesn't stop when you retire. It's continuous. And that's one of the things that we do. We have a what I call an annual financial physical once a year with our clients where we go over their complete financial plan. We go over anything that's changed health-wise, family-wise, tax-wise, or anything else that's going on in their life. So it's an ongoing process. You know, it's no different than keeping yourself in shape and in good health. You know, you work out, you exercise, you eat properly. But once a year, you go in for that annual physical. So once a year, we conduct an annual financial physical to just kind of monitor things. How we are we on track? Has anything changed? And I guarantee you one thing that will change every four years, we're going to get a new tax law. And certainly in 2024, when we'll get a new president, there's a possibility of another tax law change. So if any of you listening would like us to cover a case study that is going to be more similar to the particulars of your situation, if there's anything that you're thinking about, feel free to send us a message and we'll always be happy to go over whether or not it's moving from one state, what that'll mean in terms of income taxes or cost of living expenses, or if it's constructing a portfolio mix, like we said, to make your taxable income as tax efficient as possible. We can definitely delve into any of these specific areas at length. So you can send us a message by going to our website, financialsense.com, and just hitting where it says contact us. If you're also interested in our financial planning services, our asset management services, 
Financial Times has ranked us as one of the top investment advisory firms in the U.S. So feel free to reach out to any of our certified financial planners, our wealth advisors, and we'll be happy to assist you. Once again, the best way to do that would be to go to financialsense.com and hit where it says contact us. In the meantime, on behalf of Chris Sheridan and myself, we'd like to thank you for listening to Lifetime Planning. Until we talk again, have yourself a pleasant week. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any companies mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour. Please be advised that you invest at your own risk.